This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Hi, welcome to Mom in Mind Behind the Sessions. I'm Dr. Kat. This new series I wanted to bring to you is going to be coming out every other Thursday, at least to start. I really wanted to give a sneak peek and insight into what goes on in therapy, what goes into the perinatal mental health and reproductive health specialties, and pull back the curtain on as much as possible so that getting help and finding help can feel more accessible and more possible. I'll be diving into topics that come up in therapy sessions, also talking about emotional and relationship challenges and talking out loud about things that really bother me related to societal pressure and many other things that impact the perinatal population. And we'll also have an occasional chat between me and another perinatal therapist. Plus, who knows what else will come out of my mouth and brain. Uh, But the goal really here is to make things more accessible. It's just so hard already to be dealing with any kind of mental health issue, let alone a perinatal mental health issue. And it's really high time that we just normalize therapy and normalize the process of going to get help and healing. In our episode today, I am going to chat with you about what it is like or what it can be like to come in for therapy, some of the things that might go on in sessions, at least the initial ones. Just as some of you may know, getting to therapy, especially for the very first time, but still any time, can be quite a process, a thought process, an emotional process, and people often go back and forth for days, weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even years on if they're going to take those steps towards that type of healing. That's not to say people aren't seeking out other types of healing, but the benefits of therapy are so many, and that varies depending on what type of therapy uh, you're seeking out and what type of skill set the therapist has who's helping you. So those hesitations about coming in for therapy and seeking out help are very real. 
And there's a lot that goes into that. First of all, we have a ton of societal pressure and expectation to just figure things out on our own. And I believe that that is really, really, really harmful. I've heard too many times the thought that either somebody has for themselves or that they've been told that you should be able to do this on your own. That is a harmful statement and it is a harmful belief. It might come from a place of trying to be supportive or telling somebody that they have, I don't know, the capacity or strength, but usually how something like that is interpreted is that seeking out help and therapy in particular means that you are weak and that you can't do it on your own. And if any of you have ever had that feeling or that thought, then you know the secondary feeling and thought that comes with that is that of shame. It can feel like being more stuck. It can feel like feeling hopeless or helpless, especially when there's such a deep desire for healing, such a deep desire to feel better than you feel right now when you're suffering. If then your thought or someone else's thought is that you should be able to do this on your own, then it cuts you off from that path in a way or makes you push down your own feelings or makes you feel like you have to get the help that you need in secret. Oof, that just so harmful. Of course, there are other types of hesitations related to therapy. Talking to somebody about what's going on for you internally, your mental and emotional state is a very vulnerable thing to do. It can make you feel vulnerable, especially if it's a therapist that you'd like to meet with that you've never met with before. It can feel really hard to open up to somebody that you're just meeting for the first time. In a moment, I'll talk about, you know, finding a therapist and what that's like, but the feeling of kind of debating with yourself, if you want to open up to somebody that you don't know and not really knowing what's going to come back, are you going to get the help that you want? Is this person going to be understanding? Are they going to get it? Are they going to get you? And when you're feeling at your worst, it is extra hard to be vulnerable. I mean, it's hard when you feel fine. So trying to make a decision of seeking help can be really one of deciding if you are willing or ready to be vulnerable so that you can get to the place that you want to get to with your healing. Other hesitations around seeking out therapy might be, well, can I afford it? Or does that's if you're, you know, paying out of pocket, or if you have a high copay, or even if you have a lower copay, is this something that I can afford to do? That is a, absolutely a real concern and a real thing to figure out. Those are answerable questions in the sense of, you know, if you have uh, health insurance, you can call your insurance and get some of those questions answered. And sometimes just getting the information, like how much is my copay? If you're not using insurance, you don't have insurance, what would you be paying out of pocket? Having those types of questions answered can remove some of the barriers that you might feel internally to seeking help because you have a better sense of what that's going to look like. Now, another question is, well, how long is this going to take? And if you're going to be embarking on a healing process, especially if it's not one that you've done before through talk therapy or other types of psychotherapy, you might not know how long it's going to take. And also the therapist might not know exactly how long it's going to take unless it's a really structured type of therapy that you're seeking. So it's a bit of a, you know, a process of trying to figure out what you can do 
um, financially, but also what you can do emotionally and what you can fit into your life. I will say, I hear it way too often, people saying that they don't have time for therapy or any other kind of thing. It could be physical therapy. It could be anything like that. And I really challenge people on that. There, you know, certainly we live busy, busy lives and there are things that we end up having to prioritize because of the way that our lives are. That is super true. And also, if you are suffering, it is vital to make time to get the help that you deserve so that you can live your life the way that you'd like to, so that you can have some ease and relief in your life moving through. It's sometimes a very real thing. I don't have time. I don't have the support to get the therapy. When am I going to do this? Who's going to watch the kids? When am I going to take time off of work? Who's going to make dinner? Like those are all real barriers, real questions. And also I see this time and time again, when somebody has suffered for far too long and they're way, way deep in the trenches, they're sort of forced into making time because they have no other choice. It's basically like continue to suffer at this level or get the help that I need. Also, what I kind of alluded to already are some of the societal ideas of what therapy is or what people will think of you if you go to therapy, what you might even think about yourself if you go to therapy. This stuff has been internalized. The ideas of, you know, if you go to therapy, it means X, Y, or Z about you. Unfortunately, I hear a lot of that means I'm quote unquote crazy, or there's something wrong with me, or that I'm a failure because I couldn't do it on my own. And I would just like to like throw all that in the garbage and light it on fire. It is ridiculous. We are past that point as a society, at least in uh, not all cultures, some cultures rely heavily on other types of healing and that is totally fine. But right now I'm talking primarily in kind of a, a Western access to therapy type of perspective. I'd really like for us to be done with the narrative of what it means to get help in general and very specifically what it means to get mental health help. It's super very, very harmful. And I'm not talking about this from like a, any kind of holier than thou perspective or any kind of like, you should really do this because it's good for you. I go to therapy. I have a therapist and I value it. I highly value it. So I'm a therapist who goes to therapy and I really believe in this process, especially for myself, somebody who's highly sensitive. I really need to get into some minutia of what's going on in my internal process. I have my own healing that I still want and need to do because it's beneficial to me in my life to be able to have that outlet and be able to talk about things that I might not necessarily want to talk about so much detail with a friend or my husband or something like that. Not that I couldn't, but it's that I value the type of support where I know somebody else is there for me to help me think through my stuff. And I know it's not going to impact them directly. Like they have no skin in the game necessarily. Of course, my therapist wants my healing for me as well, but I'm not necessarily going to say something that's going to upset her about, you know, an argument that we had, you know, 10 years ago or something like that, that might come up with a friend or a partner. Having that other person who's trained and who's there on your behalf for you to help you through the process is just for me and for a lot of the people that I meet with, 
is just so incredibly valuable. All that to say, I'm not quote unquote crazy. I have issues just like everybody else. I have a history just like everybody else. And granted, all of our stuff is different. We all come to needing healing in very different ways and for different reasons. But if the narrative is that somebody like me, let's say, is crazy, then fine, whatever, I'm crazy. Okay, and next, let's move on. But I don't subscribe to that narrative. I'm just saying like this is gone on for too long. The narrative is changing. That is, we're done with those old narratives of what mental health used to be seen as. And in some ways, there's still a stronghold on these ideas, but it's a conceptualization of what mental health is based on typically not understanding what it really is, or typically some fear-based ideas on what it is because of how it's been portrayed, how it's been treated historically. There's no actual fact of that going to therapy or needing mental health support means you're crazy. It's an old narrative and I'm ready for this to be over. So that's my little soapbox there. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And you don't need to do it on your own. Certainly, like I said before, there are many paths to healing. Therapy is one of them. There are things, other types of therapy that people don't balk at. You want to go to yoga? Cool. Nobody's tripping out about that. Or you want to do sound healing? All right. Awesome. And whatever else it is that you're into. Nobody is telling people that you should be able to do physical therapy on your own or all of yoga on your own, although you can have your own practice for sure. But what I'm trying to say is that this is uniquely focused on mental health, that you should be able to do it on your own. And I just don't subscribe to that. Like I said, there are things you can do on your own, but man, we just need to move on from that idea. Okay. All right. 
I went back on my soapbox. I'm getting back off now. So let's say you've waded through all of those types of hesitations and thought process and whatnot, and you've decided that, okay, yep, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go to therapy. Then your next step is finding a therapist. And granted, it's not always easy to do that. There are several avenues of where you can go on therapist directories online to look through and find somebody that matches for you the best way possible. There are usually filters on those search engines where you can filter out for, let's say, your insurance type, or if you want to pay out of pocket, or what type of issue you're having. Let's say it's a marital issue, or depression, or anxiety. And you can also filter out for language, and you can filter out for gender preference or sex of your therapist. Yeah, so there are a lot of other things you can filter out for to try and narrow down your search because it can be overwhelming when you go onto a therapist search engine and you see thousands of people. Um, So how do you know which one is right for you? Using the search engines are really, really helpful as a way to narrow that down. Then reading through their bios, reading through their descriptions of the type of therapy that they do, and kind of checking in with yourself. How does this feel to me? Does this feel like it might be a good fit? Does it, the way the therapist writes, and go check out their websites if they have one, see what they put on there, see what their qualifications are, and just get a sense for yourself if it feels like they might be a good fit. And I would say after you've gathered a handful, more than one, more than two ideally, is to reach out to them either through their website or email or whatever avenue that they offer and let them know what you're looking for out of therapy. You can tell them, I mean, I'm talking specifically to the perinatal population. You can give a brief little description of what you're going through, what you'd like out of therapy, And typically then, unfortunately these days, a lot of therapists are booked. So you have to kind of cast a wide net and really email as many as possible and see what comes back. For most therapists, they will offer like a, you know, a 10 minute, 15 minute consultation uh, by phone to kind of talk through a couple of the things that you're thinking about using therapy for. And then you can get a sense for yourself of, does this feel like a good fit for me? What's your vibe? Is it a vibe check? We're getting along. Seems like this person understands what I'm talking about. It's really important to pay attention to that because your intuitive hits on those kinds of things are information. So when you're going to talk to a therapist, it's useful for you to have not only in mind what you'd like to get help with. But if you have specific questions for that therapist, that things that are important to you, it could be related to cultural background, or it could be related to a type of training that they have or don't have that you're really looking for. Like, let's say you want somebody who is trained in trauma and specifically can do EMDR, and you want to know a little bit more about how they do their work. You can ask those questions. So, you know, the idea moving into this part of the process is that if you have questions, it's okay to ask them and it's okay to get a sense for yourself if this feels like a good fit. If initially it feels like a good fit and you want to move forward, then cool. If it doesn't, then you move on and that's okay. Some of what we know about the success of therapy is the match, is the fit between client and therapist. So it is really 
good for you to have a sense that, yeah, we can work together because you will be spending some time together. It could be, you know, 45 minutes to an hour every week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes every other week, depending on what your needs are and the availability of the therapist. That connection part is really important in the healing process. You need to feel seen, you need to feel heard. And believe it or not, that is a lot of the healing process is just being able to establish that connection with somebody who you feel like can understand what you're going through. Because it's honestly really hard to find that outside sometimes. Like, even though we might have really close family and really close friends, that doesn't mean they always understand at a really deep level what we're talking about or what we're going through. Yeah. So that part is pretty important. And what I can say is that sometimes you start to meet with a therapist and after a session or two, it doesn't feel that way anymore, or it doesn't feel like a good fit. And that's okay too. It is really quite okay to back it up and like talk to the therapist, let them know that it's not a good fit or that you're looking for something else. Sometimes the therapist will be able to course correct and you'll be able to reconnect and get back on track to what works for you and what is important to you. And sometimes it's clear on both ends that it's not a good fit. Occasionally a therapist might also say, I'm not sure that I can help you in the way that you need. I'm going to refer you out or suggest that you meet with kind of therapist that does this other type of therapy. And all of that is really common and a really good and healthy part of the initial process of therapy in general. All right. So let's say you've picked the therapist that you'd like to start your work with. Then what comes next? Well, for many therapists these days, some therapists are you know working online and might have a digital platform that they're working from. Some therapists are just working in person and will have you come to the office. So again, that's a preference of yours and of the therapist, and that can get worked out in the initial conversation. But in any case, you will initially get paperwork to fill out. Again, that could be actual paper paperwork, or it could be online. And there are going to be forms, just like really standard office forms that you see from other doctor's offices or um, other places that you get any kind of healthcare, privacy policies, office policies, and HIPAA notifications and things like that. And for therapists, you will also get another type of questionnaire that asks different questions about your history and what is bringing you in for a therapy. And there isn't like, you know, one way that every therapist does the same thing. So if you've met with different therapists, they might have a preference of questions that they ask people before they meet so that they can understand a little bit more deeply what's going on before the initial session. For me in my practice, I do send out an initial questionnaire. It asks questions about, you know, what's bringing you in for therapy? What kinds of symptoms are you having day to day? Do you have any history of mental health issues, substance use issues? And what's the quality of your sleep and eating and, you know, day to day activities? Who are the supports in your network, like friends, family, spouse, partner, those kinds of things? So for me, I really want to get a sense of some context that I can listen for and hear and understand so that I can 
hear about what is happening in your life and what all might be impacting you aside from, let's say, the the thing that brought you in, what else is impacting you either in a positive way or impacting you in a negative way. Also, for the perinatal specialty, it is really, really important that we ask about your history, your reproductive history in particular. So when I'm meeting with somebody, I want to know from let's say like start of a period, start of menses. And if you've had one, what that was like, what it's like to have a period, how regular are they all the way through pregnancies that you've had losses that you've had, including terminations, any kind of health history that you have that might be impacting you. What we know in the perinatal mental health field is that our histories impact our sometimes impact our current reproductive health and mental health experience. So it can be useful to, for us to know, let's say if there has been a loss or if there has been a period of IVF and, and you're dealing with the challenges that come along with that. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Again, for me, my big word is context. What is going on in your life? What has as much as possible led up to this time or what is contributing to this time? Because life is complex. There's a lot that goes on in our world that contribute to how we feel. And the more information we have, the more I can help you anchor into that and know what all is impacting you. So that honestly, to be totally real, is that most people come into therapy feeling like they are a failure or something is wrong 
quote unquote wrong with them. And it is really, really, really hard to see that. Oh yeah. Right. I haven't slept in however long. Oh yeah. My thyroid's out of balance or, oh yeah, I haven't had support from my spouse or partner for months. And we forget that those things impact us. By the time you're feeling as bad as you might be feeling, it just feels like it's you. So that context is really important. Okay. So kind of getting more into the process of therapy and that is my process, stuff that I want to know. Well, I'm also looking for how much are you sleeping? What are your eating patterns? What kind of support do you have from friends or family or anybody else who's in your circle? Those things are really important because we also need to know where can we make adjustments? What might be able to help you moving forward to get out of the deep funk you might be in and feeling a little bit more like yourself? And ideally, by the end of the first or second session, we're figuring out our heading together. What are we going to be doing here? What is your goal? What would you like to get out of therapy? And then some ideas, at least initial ideas on how we might work towards that. Stabilization is always my first goal in therapy sessions. Again, with the perinatal folks, oftentimes people are coming in just besides themselves. They are totally depleted. And in order to get to feeling better, first, we need to have things like sleep, and regular eating and figuring out those types of daily living things that are really foundational to our health and mental health that for sure fall off the list when we're struggling. And typically, you know, other things come up in therapy that might not necessarily be the thing that brought you in, but could be a contributing factor. So again, at least initially, I want to take note of that. And if you want to, and there's time and whatnot to come back to some of the other deeper underlying contributing factors, then cool. We will definitely do that. But it's hard to get to some of that deeper stuff until, honestly, until you've had enough sleep, until there's you have support. And so that's kind of a lot of what the initial session, at least with me, would look like and does look like depending on what's going on for people, kind of the gathering of history and understanding what's going on is more than just the first session. It can be, you know, over a couple of sessions to get a fuller understanding of the kind of topography, the lay of the land of what's going on for somebody. I'd like to also address and talk about what it can feel like to either be going into your first session or even afterwards. There's often nervousness and people, like I said before, aren't quite sure what to expect. Other people could be feeling a huge amount of relief to be able to finally talk about this thing or get the help or be on a path or make some movement towards not feeling like how they've been feeling. And you can feel both. You can be nervous and be relieved. You can feel, you know, any number of things. It doesn't have to be one thing, but I like to name it, name that those feelings can come up. And it is really, really, really normal. Even for me, like meeting a new therapist, these are all things that are superhuman, definitely human to experience. And it's okay that you're feeling them. You're not supposed to feel any one kind of way when you're starting the therapy process. And so it's good to name it ahead of time so that you're aware that it can be there. And also, and that it doesn't feel like, something's wrong with you for feeling that. 
Um, after therapy too, sometimes people feel really drained. We're kind of going through a concentrated version of what's happened for you over the last bit of time. And that can be really draining. So it's good to know that that could be an after effect of starting therapy and other, again, you can feel relief. You could feel anxious or nervous. You could all of a sudden remember 10 things that you forgot to tell the therapist and that's okay. And we can always bring it up in the next session. If throughout the therapy process, I believe it's useful to have support and it's shown, especially for perinatal population that having a friend support or family support, community support, or one or all of them is incredibly helpful in your process of healing. And that come from also a support group or a therapy group. And it doesn't have to be a ton of people. If you are somebody who has a big group of friends that you feel very close to, then cool. But if it's one person who is your person and that's who you share with, then great. Because there might be things that come up in therapy that could be good to talk to somebody outside of therapy about, or just to have emotional support, just to be able to, you know, maybe you need a hug after therapy or when somebody gets home from work or whatever it is, not necessarily that you have to talk about everything, but having additional support is just so great. And it should ideally be support that feels supportive. You could be surrounded by hundreds of people and not feel closer connected to them. But if you have one person that you feel close to, then use that relationship for support the same way that you would support them if they needed it. So yeah, I mean, there's so much more to know about initial sessions and starting therapy, but I really, again, wanted to try and address some of the big ones so that if you are somebody who's considering going to therapy, these are some maybe possibly questions answered for you, maybe some barriers removed mentally or emotionally that can help you take that next step. What I really, really want people to know is that it is okay to seek healing. It is okay to go to therapy. Again, those old ideas of what mental health is, what people thought mental health was, what seeking a therapist means, all those old ideas need to die. And by us having conversations, real conversations about how we are impacted mentally and emotionally in our lives, talking about, yep, I go to therapy and normalizing this for other people is super powerful in changing this old narrative. You are absolutely not crazy. You are absolutely not weak and you're definitely not a failure. So I hope for those of you that have been thinking about therapy or on the fence a little bit, I hope this helps you take that next step towards healing. I'm really glad that you joined today on this episode of Mom and Mind Behind the Sessions, and I hope it's been helpful for you. If those of you out there are needing a little bit more help in terms of support and understanding what's going on for you, how to notice if you are having any kind of diagnosable, potentially mental health issues, please go to wellmindperinatal.com slash courses. That is my website where I also have the um, podcast and access to other online courses that are pretty easy, pretty digestible and are on demand for you if you need and want that extra support. Alrighty. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. 
or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at mom and mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.